Welcome to another episode of the Billy Wonka Experience. My name is Daryl, and today I have Matt Penchition with me. Matt, how are you doing? I'm not doing too bad. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure. Awesome. I appreciate you joining me today, man. I uh, I was very intrigued with a lot of the work that you were doing. I mean, I see it on Twitter. That's kind of how I met you indirectly was through Twitter. And uh, I saw a lot of the analytic work that you started to do. And I was really impressed with what I was reading. And it just kind of made me wonder, you know, who's this Matt Phil and, and how did this all come to pass with the analytic work? So uh, again, Matt, I appreciate the time today. Um, of course. So do tell, buddy, like how I, obviously you're a hockey fan and you look like you've been doing quite a bit of work when it comes to analytics and statistics and hockey. So how did this all come to be for you? Yeah, well, if it did first start, uh, you know, a couple couple years for me, um, a little bit about myself is I started uh, once I came out of high school, I went into the radio and television broadcast industry at, at uh, Nate University. Um, I took a few courses and then uh, headed eventually headed another route um, due to circumstances, but I, I was never never unfascinated with that kind of in that kind of industry so I found my way back um, and something I've always been pretty pretty educated on and pretty fascinated on is um, just understanding the game having not played it um, professionally or anything of the sort I wanted to be as involved as I can uh, prospects is something huge that I that I work towards but then throughout uh, the years especially over the last two years the analytics part of the game has really kind of shine up a little bit and uh, I'm trying to learn as much as I can and kind of spread whatever I learn out to, to whoever um, whoever knows it whoever doesn't know it and, and just try to uh, reach out on, on what I, uh, what two cents I have to bring. Awesome. So when you talk about the analytics part of it, was there something that first really got you intrigued with that kind of statistical data that you thought, huh, this is something that I can really translate into a learning or a career for myself? Um, but if I'm honest, uh, no, not really. I just took it as this is something that I'm passionate about. And then one guy came to me um, a few weeks back and he's like hey you should you should make a blog about this or we should make uh, a YouTube about this so now I have myself a producer we're doing some blog content and and I think that was a fascinating idea so I wanted to see where, where I could go with it. Well that's pretty exciting for you hey so you know you, your work obviously got noticed by somebody and here you are now creating a blog <laughs> so what's the name of your blog? Um, so the name, so the name of the site I'll start off with is called Oilers Zone. Um, Oilers Zone. You put that into into Google, it comes right up. And what you notice is it's still a work in progress, but there is um, a section for for blogs and then for prospects. At the moment, there's two blogs on there. One is just a view on overall how I perceive. Um, prospecting how how the analytics part of it uh, reaches out to the prospecting looking at stuff like NHLE and then we do a much deeper dive when we can get more information on on the analytics part of it while the prospects are are in um, like the CHL and, and stuff like that and then I also go in in depth with video um, just on prospects, how the game has performed and, and continuing on from there. Do you find it hard to 
when you're doing the data to find the video that correlates to it? Or are you, are you talking two separate things between the video and the analytic work that you're doing? Um, it would be two, two separate things. Um, I kind of focus on, okay, this is what you see in the video. Um, and then in, in separate content, I kind of focus on where that translates to, to analytics, because I find that there's two different, two different types of, of people who really read my work. And, uh, once I have like a full explanation where it brings it together so people can understand it better, I can kind of bring it, bring it all together, so to speak. So when you talk about the two different people that read your work, are they the analytically inclined and then the, the ones that aren't like me, where you kind of see um, someone the, again? <laughs> you, you know, you know, where there, there was once a time where I, will, I was very analytic uh, um, inclined where, where I couldn't understand it. And I think a lot of it is, is exactly that, where we have some people who, who understand it a little bit more and other people who, who just don't... Uh, don't understand it as as much, and instead of of um, talking in two different fronts, I want to bring to light the advantages, the disadvantages, and and kind of learn from different perspectives on on both fronts. So when you when you talk analytics and you look at um how they've kind of applied to different teams throughout the NHL over the last couple of years, could you notice a few of the teams that do use it and how they've benefited from it? Mm-hmm. What about the like the counter argument to that, that, you know, the eye test versus the analytic information, you know, there's a compromise somewhere in the middle, but a lot of people really hate analytics. You know, I listen to uh, two guys in a goalie all the time and they talk about, you know, like uh, Cassian hates analytics. He doesn't think that that's what, not that it doesn't apply because I think it does, but you know, you still have to have the eye test to say what, you know, talent is. And sometimes it's all very subjective. So what would you say to that? Like, where is analytics really in the community when it comes to hockey? Um, when it comes to hockey, I, I really personally believe that you want to use as much data as you can. And, and just like whether I test at one point was, was the top of the line data that you used. And now that we're getting more into the science of, of how the NHL, how your, your play is being able to go, um, you can look at more details, more of a science of it. Even as far as coaching um, players, you you first started with skating, and then the the more um, the league has, or rather hockey has progressed, the more you can look at how fine tuned the details are. So for me, I find um, really analytics has has not necessarily a fifty fifty. Um, share with the eye view versus uh, versus the analytic because I do find that the eye view can be um, biased in in the sense that you may remember some things and forget others mm-hmm. um, or one thing you perceive and then something may tell a different story elsewhere but I think vast majority of the time they do correlate with each other's but we do find ourselves talking about a few instances with where they don't and, and people raise that to be an issue. So I look at analytics and when I think analytics, I think numbers and those numbers usually translate to goals against average, save percentage, face off percentage. That's mm-hmm. not that. I mean, that's a very simple, those are very simple ways of looking at analytics, but to me, like people have always talked about those three components of hockey mm-hmm for years and years and years, but it's never been like, Oh, that, that information doesn't matter because when the Oilers were really shitty in about 2014, 2015, (laughs) 
Well, not that they're not still kind of shitty. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. But when we talked mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. it for years and years and years, they, they talk how their face-off percentage has to be better. And, mm-hmm. you know, so simply put, those are pieces of, of analytical data that they're trying to compile and say that we have to get better in the face-off dot. Our goalies right. have to have, you know, like less high-scoring chances. So now you're structuring your defensive play. Yeah. So all of that is really good stuff. But if you're new to analytics, are there, is there any one specific component that a fan should look to to go, okay, this is something that I need to focus on more or pay attention to more? I think so. I think you look primarily at scoring chances and high danger chances for and against. Because that, what that's going to equate is when a player is on the ice, um, what does he do to stop scoring chances against and create scoring chances for and that has them really the vast majority of the time during play that's going to be able to create create whatever kind of points um plus minus all of those stats come to to really base off of the high high danger chances and scoring chances for and against so where are the oilers when it comes to high danger chances against and for Um, is, is this before Woodcraft or after Woodcraft? Uh, well, let's go before, because I feel like there's probably a very significant difference between the two. Okay, so I'm going to talk two different areas. I'm going to talk special teams, and then I'm going to talk 5v5. Um, 5v5 is where most of the game is played. About uh, 45 minutes per game is usually played 5 on 5 uh, the Edmonton Oilers would be in the bottom third percentile of, of the league when it comes to their, their play five on five, where the other team is beating them most uh, for 45 minutes of the game, five v five in the Tippett era. Um, during the special teams in the Tippett era, it was a complete opposite. Edmonton was in the top five of the league when it came to their their special teams and then combined with that they uh they ended up being in the top 15 because that's how much their special teams made a difference when we talk afterward croft um it nearly completely changed on the 5v5 front now edmonton is actually a top five team 5v5 where there's only four other teams that uh uh, if you took a thousand games, that they would be able to consistently be Edmonton every single night. Edmonton is better than than thir- twenty seven other teams consistently uh, every single night. And then when you add special teams to that, uh, it rather gets inconsistent. So some nights they're exceptional, other nights they're extremely off. So I'm yet yet to know where they are with that. So when you talk about five v five, what are the components that go to, that go into that that work? Like what is it specifically offensive zone pressure, offensive zone time? Is it like, what exactly is the five on five or five V five data that you look at? So what, uh, first I'll talk about the data itself. It's really a, a compile of, of so much, um, so much specific data, um, put into, uh, just an, a, an original and, and, uh, overall category so when we talk let's say a scoring chance a scoring chance is comprised of uh, a chance that was taken into wherever the shot came from and then there's many factors that that go into that as well whether it's a pass into the slot where there is a shot from from a specific side of the ice um, to to how 
close of it to the goal. So all of that gets comprised into a specific stat to make it easier for us to understand. So my goal is just to to kind of get us to understand at least the general sense of, of analytics um, before I bring us really on the deep, deep end to understand each little aspect to to some uh, someone's uh, game. Gotcha. So there's a lot that goes into it, obviously, every game. There, there is a lot, yes. So you talk about there being five other teams that are consistently better than the Oilers um, based on the current five-on-five five data. Who would those teams be? So uh, those teams, since Woodcroft, there's actually three. That would be the Calgary Flames, um, the Florida Panthers, and uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning, um, which comes in and out. Edmonton has been consistently... Um, the better team, five on five. If you want to include the special teams, and uh, the Edmonton Oilers is second behind Calgary. So they've they've improved quite a bit under Woodcroft, and I don't think that that is just the analytical data because the eye tests would say to all the fans out there with all the reactions yeah, you agree. see, oh man, it's a hell of a difference, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that a lot of it. Uh, it comes from the coaching difference in, in how they, they play each style of game um, where uh, Woodcroft pre, uh, focuses primarily on the transition game where, where Tippett tried to focus primarily on defensive play in the zone and offensive play in the, in the ozone. Okay. So Edmonton Oilers are better now when it comes 5v5, but not as great on special teams Depending on they're, the night, they're in and out, as you put they're, it. Right? They're inconsistent on, on the special teams. Yeah. It's like the Edmonton Oilers for the last decade, very inconsistent. It's not, uh, <laughs> it's not an anomaly. So, mm-hmm. you know, when you, when you talk about um, the data, I hear this all the time, and I'm going to throw one at you. Why is Corsi such a, um, it's, I wouldn't say like, it's just a popular term. Why is it such a popular term when you hear, when you talk hockey? Um, you know, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I don't even look that much into Corsi. Um, it would, I look at many facets of it. So I'll look at the overall Corsi, but I'll look at the overall Fenwick and I'll look at the overall, um, ex- expected goals against. And then I, I kind of base, um, each different, if you have a positive in all three, then you're doing positive in each different aspect of the game. Um, I think it's, it's very inappropriate to only look at one side of, of the puzzle when there's many facets to it. Uh, same thing as when you're watching a game, if you're only watching when the player scores um, and when goals are against and you're ignoring everything in between, you're, you're going to get a very one-sided opinion on, on the game. So do tell, what the hell is Corsi and what is Fenwick? Um, so so Fenwick is is something that I'm more uh, more educated on is basically your your terms in trying to understand um, it's lots if you get a, a scoring chance from one area, um, how it's very very difficult to explain actually um if you get two scoring chances they're not uh from from one area they may or may not be necessarily equal to each other so uh it's kind of basically um takes all the scoring chances uh all the plays and um it it manages itself so you can 
kind of gauge an appropriate uh, ability on, on how exactly the scoring chances for and the scoring chances against happen um, via, because there is, there can be some error with the uh, goals against and, and the goals for with where the shots are taking place. So Fenwick kind of gauges that and, and breaks it down. Okay. So what is Corsi then? Because that was a little confusing uh, anyway. <laughs> that that was a little bit uh, confusing. I'm actually still le- learning a little bit more about Corsi myself. I don't know a big ton of it. I knew a little bit about Federick. Yeah, I'll be honest. The thing is, like, it's uh, there's so many different pieces. Like I'm, I'm, like I said, I was amazed to see all the stuff that you released because these are a lot of analytics that I haven't really paid attention to. But they're mm-hmm. always like the you always see the word of the day or the phrase, the phrase of the year where it's like, OK, what's the Corsi? What's the Fenwick? And like, really, for me, as a hockey fan, I don't care what that is. I really don't care. I just want to watch them go yeah. on the ice and have, uh, you know, have a good game and have good results. But there are is a lot of data that goes into it. So I, I do appreciate the work that goes into it because uh, I appreciate so it. When you finish a game, like when the game's over on TV, how long does it take you to throw some of that data out there? Is it something that you work till 3 a.m. on or is it are you kind of calculating that stuff throughout the game? Um, depending on what it is. So usually when I look at the game, throwing out, OK, this is what was expected. This is everything that comes out um, moments after the game. I can collect that data. I'm actually looking at that data constantly throughout the game just to gauge, OK, this is kind of where excuse me, this is where Edmonton is heading. Um, this is how the play has been. And as well as that, as I kind of bet on on the side um, during the games as well. I'm, I'm a fan as well. So so I try to look at every aspect of it to, to help gain myself an advantage. Yeah, so but, I mean, it probably helps you a little bit too to, to pad the pockets. Uh, it, it does, it does. Um, every every now and then I come out with, with a good one. Oh, that's good. So... Um, with all of that data that you keep pumping out, I wanted to talk to you because one of the biggest things you do is the prospects. And I'm really intrigued to know from your perspective, because there's tons of them out there. Uh, let's, let's entertain me for a minute. So who are, who would you consider to be the three top prospects in the Oilers organization um, so far? Um, so for me, top prospects, I don't qualify anyone who is, uh, has played more than 50 games in the NHL necessarily as as a prospect if it's over a couple seasons. So Bouchard now is out of the mix. Sure. Um, if you're also 25 and over, 24, depending on who you are. So if you're a goalie, that's okay. If you're a defenseman, I'll give you leeway. But forward is also the question. Um, who I would have is Holloway, number one. Um and then number two and number three is, is really shifting for me much of the time. But Broberg at the moment is now number two. And I actually have Barry Colson as number three. Really? Hey, so how did he jump up this the past year or what, what brings him to number three? Um, he, he did. Um, I find his, when I compare all of the prospects and I look at way more than just Edmonton's, I look at every single team's prospects and been analyzing prospects really for, for the last decade of my life. Um, they, uh, his offensive instincts are extremely fine tuned where, um, who I haven't, who I have him compared with is, is similar to that of Ryan Getzlaff. Um, but his play is, is very lazy. Um, I find a lot of the time. So, so you see that potential of, he can produce extremely high offensively, but he may be lacking uh, a little bit on his 
his um, style of play. So you you give and take. If if a coach wants a really high offensive team, he may take him. If he wants someone who's going to really put in the work in, maybe Barry Cozen doesn't make the NHL. So it really gauges from that. Did didn't they have the same complaint about Ryan McLeod? Was that he was really talented offensively, but there was a bit of laziness to him where they weren't sure he was. It was able- it was actually the opposite. So was he it? was. It was the opposite. He had a tremendous um, uh, pace to his game, and he and he worked really hard. But there was that struggle offensively. Um, whereas Benson was the one who was okay. He has really high offensive ceiling. He high IQ player passes really well, but really struggles with transition, his foot speed, and and his two way play. Yeah. So has there been any surprises then? Let's just focus on those two because we brought them up between Benson and McLeod. Have there been surprises mm-hmm. for you based on their their analytics in Bakersfield to how it's translated to the NHL? Like I know Benson um, has been he's been a safe pick for a lot of fans for a lot of years because he's an Edmonton mm-hmm. product and they want to see him play. I've never really been sold as a as a fourth liner. He was doing really well for a while, mm-hmm. but again, very inconsistent. So how has it translated for you? What have you seen? Um, so far from what I've seen, I'll talk to McLeod uh, first, uh, cause he's exactly who I thought he was, um, that he was going to come in, that he would be a third line center, um, at max, uh, but he'll be a very good one. Someone that who has a lot of speed, who, who has good puck control, but his passing, uh, and playmaking decisions is very questionable. And you see that a lot of time on the power play as well. Um, so his his game is very very fine tuned for uh, a very high paced game, which is usually something you see on the third line. Whereas Benson, I I was very concerned about his game once he came to the NHL because I wasn't sure if he was going to get thrust into the right opportunity, and and since he came into the NHL, that's also exactly what happened. He wasn't given the opportunity in the in the right area that he needed which is he's um a very high iq player very offensive um and he was thrust into a bottom six role and so he adjusted his game to play a bottom six role and i don't think he's going to adjust his game back to a high offensive one so i don't think his ceiling is is as high as it used to be Mm -hmm. so that itself though kind of it's really shitty for a play. We've seen that with a lot of, you know, star players, Neil Yakupov mm-hmm. comes to mind where you have this offensively gifted player. So, I mean, that's a hard, that's a really hard task to juggle as a head coach is you've got all your high skill octane players in the NHL and you've got these younger guys. So how do you, how do you walk that fine line with the prospects to make sure that they still maintain that offensive ability without losing it into their career? Um, you know, a lot of it has to do with luck. Because you got to have the right people in the right places at the right time. Um, for example, I'll use I'll use uh, Dylan Holloway. If he comes into Edmonton right now, you could fit him in the top six, and there should not be any issues. But if you did that five years ago, you had a bunch of issues because a lot of your a lot of Dylan Holloway is is relied on to for the offense. Where now he would be a complementary player, and that that very much helps his game, helps him develop into the player that eventually will he won't necessarily be a complementary player. So Benson kind of came in um, originally when he when he first came into his stints, he was 
he was not that he, he was kind of relied upon and then i find that he also is is given that same kind of treatment now so i feel like that's the difference between how you would manage a prospect versus not and i think a lot of it does have to do with luck of having of the appropriate players in place for another player's development gotcha gotcha um so let's let's take this a different direction for a quick minute yeah. do i understand this correctly you are both an edmonton oilers fan and a calgary flames fan is that correct i am i am may shock you, a lot of people yeah it's like uh jekyll and hyde or two-face right like you've got two different sides so what how do <laughs> It's not often you see somebody who is a fan of both Alberta teams. So where did that come from? So uh, it's it's a funny story where in uh, 1998, I was born. Um, 2004 was the first hockey game I ever watched. It was uh, Edmonton versus Calgary. And I saw what, what, uh, what later would have been my favorite player um, who I grew up absolutely idolizing, who was Mika Kippersoff. Um, I'm a huge goalie fan. Every position, like every time I play hockey, it's goaltending. Um, and really, ever since that time, when I was six, I just continued watching Kiprasov play. And then you begin to like the team that, that he played for. At six years old, I had no idea about the rivalry. I, it didn't make sense to me. Um, so originally, my favorite team was Edmonton. I moved over to Calgary in 2006. My favorite player ended up winning the Vesna Trophy, and Calgary was super good. The irony of it, Edmonton ended up going for the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, in 2013, when Mika Kipsok retired, I then switched back to Edmonton because my favorite player was no longer on the team. And Calgary then stay, is, is one of my favorite teams. But uh, So I kind of go with the flow wherever my favorite players tend to be. Yeah. It's uh, – I could – you know, it would pull me in different directions all the time trying to cheer for two different teams. But having said that, being an <laughs> Oilers fan for the last decade and a bit, it's like you almost need to find a second team to cheer for in the playoffs because they don't often yeah, make it out yeah. of the first round. So I totally get that. Um, so when you look at trades like, you know, James Neal for Milan Lucic, how, how does that make you feel? Like, what do you think about stuff like that when you see the two teams make those kinds of trades? You know what? I just laugh. Whether it's trades, whether it's who wins what game, everything and and everything. I I just laugh through it all, and I try to make no comments at all. I would hope that it either uh, works out for both teams or works out for no teams. Yeah, because <laughs> because I don't like taking sides to it. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, let's uh, we'll get back into the hockey discussion really quickly. Um, so there has been a big shift in, in the Oilers play since the coaching changes happened. I'm not certain what the perspective is on Jay Woodcroft, whether he sticks past this year. Um, they've had some really good product on the ice so far, and I'm hopeful that towards the end of the year, you'll see more of it. That really also depends on how well Ken Holland does at the deadline, I would suspect. But when sure. you look at the Oilers right now, since the coaching change, what are two things that you like? And then one thing that, that has surprised you. Um, so one thing I like, uh, if it's okay for me to see is just everything, um, their transitional play has been superb. Their, their ability, especially Woodcroft, and I'll, I'll give some, a shout out to Manson because their ability to use the players and, and like put the time on them all similarly, uh, use them all, all. Uh, similarly is really fantastic it helps keep each player fresh 
and, and that player is really good. Um, the one player I'm very shocked about uh, is credit where credit due is Mikko Koskinen. Um, I agree. I I was a I'm not going to say a fan, but I had a lot more faith in him, especially early on in his career, uh, knowing the analytics part of it and knowing that he he did do really well, especially when he was split starting. Um, is if he's a split starter, he had elite numbers. And that's going to shock a lot of a lot of people that that was the case. And whenever he was the sole starter, he really struggled. And then going into the Woodcroft um, era, he he kind of took that and then went to a whole nother level with it. So once again, he's he's an elite starter when he's when he's split starting. Um, but it would be interesting to see what he does when he is when he plays a lot more than just a split start. Do you know offhand what those numbers were for him as a split starter? As a split starter, um, it was north of, what was it, 920, 921. So that's comparable to Andre Vasilevsky and, and Mark Schum. I don't think anybody would have guessed that he would have that kind of save percentage. Not a chance. None. You know, nope. I, I agree with you, though. He is my one surprise after the coaching change that was really intriguing to see was that his play has been phenomenally better. And I know it's really hard to argue in favor of him, but he's been playing well. I wonder how much of that, though, was just the defensive structure that is in front of him. Like how much credit is given to, like you said, Dave Manson to say that the team plays much better defensively and ergo it is less scoring chances. Mind you, there's been a lot of high, high danger chances and he stopped them. So um, the irony behind it is Kostin is one of the best high danger goalies in the league and has been his entire career. Uh, so I'm not I'm not fully surprised that uh, when he. Well, Edmonton's really cut down on the chances. Unless if it's high danger, it's not really getting through. Uh, that he's saving a lot more because you really found that he wasn't saving all the other chances, but mm. he he was saving a lot of the high danger, and he continues to save a lot of the high danger. Yeah, that's fair. Do you notice that there's a difference? Like I know the secondary scoring is one of my likes for this, but you know you talk about the overall uh, structure of the game. I want to say accountability. Have you noticed a difference in the team's play in terms of accountability? Or would you suggest that that's not a thing right now? Um, I, I think I have. I, I would agree that to a point it, it has. Um, but I, I don't feel that, uh, that it's shifted with they're trying to play harder than they used to with Tippett versus now. I just think that they're they're bought into a system of really playing for each other. Uh, just something about playing with Woodcraft and and each having their own role and really having it interconnected just makes a quite big of a difference. Yeah. Well, you know that's what they talk about with the new generation of athletes is community. I mean, students, the world in general is communication. You got to be a good communicator in order to mm -hmm. get through, which makes you wonder either. Daryl Sutter has always had that quality and just doesn't show it. <laughs> but I mean, man, like what a surprise. And that, I cannot believe how successful Calgary has been so far this year. I shouldn't say I can't believe it. I guess I just don't want to believe it, but they have played, they've been playing some <laughs> of the best hockey that I've seen in the last five years for them. Um, they, they have been playing the best hockey I've ever seen them play. Um, backed by uh, amazing performances from, from, Markstrom, but predominantly their their ability to to create a lot more than they give up, mm -hmm. and uh, 
what's really underrated is is their commitment to both sides of of play whether it's offense and defense and what's taken most of that is is not really the secondary scoring because the secondary scoring actually is really not there for Calgary it's more the first line for them because in years past when they haven't been successful that line hasn't been going when when they have been successful that line has been the key component to that I imagine the same thing will follow with Edmonton uh, if they have really big success here here in the near future well they I mean the secondary they definitely need first of all to get their power play going that would be one of the components that has been lacking severely although that that shot that McDavid had on the weekend was (laughs) <laughs> just something to admire. Um, so with a trade deadline looming, I, I want to know from you, like who are two trade targets that you would pick if you were the Oilers based on play to help get them into the playoffs? Cause I know that they are in uh, the top three right now. And I would love nothing more than to see Vegas fall out of it because although they've been a great team since they got into the NHL, I just feel like it was a given. So anyway, you look at the Oilers, what would you say would be their two top priority or trade targets at the deadline? Um, my, my top priority would actually be moving contracts out rather than bring pieces in. I find Emmons to be considering what they have is, is underratedly so good. Um, they need the cap space to bring all of it back. So what I'm looking for is if you're going to move a piece, you're going to trade Barry for for a pick back, whether you're looking at a second or third. Um, there's many GMs in the league who who have him uh, high valued on on a reasonable contract, top four defenseman, power play specialist, uh, checks all those uh, bookmarks, and then a defenseman that I would bring back. I'd trade either a fourth or a fifth, likely a fifth, is is from the Buffalo Sabres Pissick. Um, many Edmonton fans, we already know him. He played for the Oil Kings back in their Memorial Cup run. Uh, stay-at-home defenseman as well, plays the right side, and, and is really good and adjusts uh, really well to key systems. So I think he would play uh, a very good role here on the third pair for Edmonton. So you'd be willing to part ways. Obviously, the contract would free up some cash, but you're, you'd be willing to move on from your power play defenseman on the back end? Uh, absolutely. For me, I have the already elite, in my opinion, he's elite, um, Evan Bouchard, uh, who can take over. I think it's something for him to learn with. You might as well start now while your team has two of the best players on the, on the planet. In my opinion, the two best players on the planet. Um, or if that's not working, Darnell Nurse has also been a, a very good power play guy as well. So if if you're trading Barry, I think that you you aren't missing anything at all. So you would suggest as one would be to bring uh, trade out Tyson Barry, bring in Mark Pissick. Would there be a second target you're looking after, or just making sure you get rid of another contract to open up some cap space? Um, I would just be looking to to get rid of uh, caps. Um, High high cap hits. Other than that, goaltending. You're you're here. This as a surprise. I wouldn't touch it. I absolutely wouldn't touch it. The issue isn't what you already have. It's it's how it's being had. So Smith shouldn't be playing. He should be in the minors. Skip should be up. Koskinen should be with him, mm-hmm. with him, and you just roll with that. Mm-hmm. That's what I would do. 
I agree with that. But wouldn't you want to wait though till the actual off season to move out contracts? Or I mean, when you're in a run like this, trying to keep up for a playoff spot, that's kind of risky to to ship out your number one power play man to bring in a stay at home defenseman who would be on your bottom pairing. Um, you you can do that, uh, but there's going to be a lot of teams hunting for it for that type of defenseman. They're trying to make upgrades themselves, yeah. so I'd be looking into something like that uh, instead of hunting. Um, there's a lot of buyers right now, but not enough sellers. Sorry, uh, sellers in the market, and even more so, there's a lot less cap space to go around. Yeah. Um, so in in the off season, that definitely be a play. But I know there's there's a bunch of teams that that are looking for for that style of play in, in Tyson Berry. That's very fair. I uh, I was looking at um, I wrote them down here because I didn't want to forget when I was looking them up earlier. Ryan Graves is a really interesting name that I think would be. Uh, an intriguing pickup if they could make it work just because he's so young and has so much potential. I don't know the statistics on this guy or the analytic work on him to say that he's going to be any good, but as an, as a name that I've seen play in the league, I thought that would be kind of good, but I'm with you when it comes to goaltending, there isn't anyone that you're going to be able to bring in. I would say, unless they're number one, which isn't going to happen, who's going to be mm-hmm. able to help relieve the Oilers. I just get frustrated when you see how Mike Smith keeps, and I get it. He's a veteran. He's been there a long time. He wants to compete. Mm-hmm. However, uh, they didn't shy away from moving Koskin in onto the bench and keeping him there as long as they had to last season when he wasn't playing well. I don't know why they continue to keep Mike Smith in the loop. Um, that to me is just mind boggling. I mean, I'm not a GM. I, I don't know how it works, but I can tell you when I heard Rashad say that they are probably going to keep three goalies on the bench. That means to me to say that they don't want to bring it, send Smith down. He can help probably with um, help be a support to Skinner, but, I don't know why they would even keep him around if that's other than that. Mm-hmm. I, I happen to agree with that. Uh, for one, there's, there's not any goalie on the market that be able to improve your position at the moment. Um, the two that are in the market that, that uh, people will think that are available have already declined coming to Edmonton. Um, and that's Flurry and Varimov. So when you're looking at a goal, uh, goalie tandem that you're trying to bring in, it, it's just not possible. And the cap situation doesn't doesn't improve that either. You really can't afford it. So when you do roll with Mike Smith and and you roll with uh, Skinner and Kostin, uh, I was also very interested of going the three way. Um, I personally, uh, and perhaps this is a little bit bad radio for agreeing with you. Um, I think that this is a move where Holland kind of has to um, bite the bullet and just send uh, Mike Smith down. Which might very well happen. You know, we, we've seen it at the beginning of the year when they said, no, he doesn't want to, he's not going to fire the coach midseason. He won't fire the coach midseason. He says it and then he does it. So mm-hmm. I think, I think this year is one of those years where it's like anything, anything is going to be able to happen as long as that's the way that, you know, that's the direction the team starts to move. So, mm-hmm. So you would only look for one one contract, and Mark Pissick would be the guy you bring in, and that not, nobody else, eh? I I wouldn't focus too much because mainly you you can't bring in anyone. The cap is too filled, um, and I don't believe in our our GM enough to kind of relieve some of the contracts. So with Archibald coming, with Turris, who's injured but uninjured, frankly mm-hmm. speaking, and you have all of these contracts, they're rolling with a twenty three man 
23 man roster the pretty much the entire year instead of instead of a 1920 which would provide them with a bunch of cap space to at least make a few moves mm -hmm. at the moment they have 514 k i believe in cap space uh that's not even an nhl contract so if they if they make a move there's really not much that they can do it's got to be money money in money out I would say be money and money out. they could potentially try to go the route of the LTIR, which seems to be the new hot topic so that you can move, move contracts around. I'm not sure that they're there yet anyway. Uh, so we'll move on to the next one I got for you. Who would be the most surprising team, good or bad so far this year in the NHL? Uh, the most surprising team, and it hits me every single time is the Philadelphia Flyers. They're just so bad and i i had a bunch of them on fantasy for myself i thought it, it would break out they had a coaching change they added some pieces um and and it just didn't all connect so now now they're in absolute shambles i think that they're they're in the middle like san jose where they don't know if they're rebuilding they don't know if they're they're having pieces come out but they got um one of the best young goalies in the nhl in the back ends, um, I, I don't know what they're doing, and, and they're an absolute disaster. But a few injuries have kind of con contributed to the fact that they've been playing very, like, very poorly. Uh, but I agree with you. I think Philly is one of the, one of the most mind-boggling teams based on the structure of their team. That said, though, with Claude Giroux, um, his name has been out there a few times, and I'm really curious to see if he heads out the door anywhere. Like, you know, your captain, you'd hate to want to see him leave, but there's got to be a bit of a return back. Do you see him getting traded at the deadline? Um, I have. I was actually listening to Elliot Freeman today, and there's been um, some rumblings that per that he could be on the move sooner rather than later. And what's interesting is that uh, earlier this this week, there was rumblings out of Colorado that there was a guy that was going to go on the LTIR. Landeskog. And, and uh, so one person went on L. Uh, LTIR and it wasn't Lance Dog, it was a bigger contract. I, I forget his name. And Elliot's like, Is that the guy? And you're like, No, it, he's coming. And then Landis Dog, like you said, goes on LTRR. So uh, Josh Manson just got traded for today, but it wouldn't shock me if uh, if Claude Drew is also traded for. Um, and uh, on, a, on a point, Landis Dog, he's going for surgery. Um, so he'll be he'll be back probably in the playoffs. That would be a scary top six for the Colorado Avalanche. Like, oh, wh boy. what a team! So then let's let's do this. What you know, we're sitting here on March 14th. We've got one week till the deadline. We've got about a month left of hockey. We're gonna fast forward till June, and we're gonna say who is Matt's pick for the Stanley Cup final in 2022. Uh, who was my pick for Stanley Cup final? I, holy man, uh, the tough question. Good question. Um, I, I don't even know who's in the East, who, who will be able to compete between Florida and Tampa. They're right there. You have Carolina who's right there. Um, and they're all going to fight for it, but I, I don't think any of it matters. I think it's Colorado's year to win. I, they're just too good. And if they bring in Claude Giroux, they just added Just Manson. Like the, they were good enough already, and they just added a top four defenseman, and potentially will be adding um, a top six uh, uh, 
forwarding in Claude Giroux. You just can't stop that unless they get injuries to Kemper. It, it's just not possible. It's uh, so it doesn't matter in the East. Colorado's winning the cup. It no matter does what. not matter. Colorado's winning the cup here, but we could have Colorado, Carolina. Let's say as as my uh, my pick. I I would love to see um, Tampa Bay back. Not because I like the the team. I don't really care for <laughs> for Tampa Bay, but I just think it would be really impressive to see a three peat in this mm-hmm. you know, in today's NHL to see a team go back to back to back in three very different circumstances of NHL seasons and still come out on top. I, I really love the chirp from, from Sergachev the other night when he's in the box and he's going two, two, <laughs> I got one here too. <laughs> like he's taunting the fans. But uh, I, you know, what would be a very interesting and it would take me back way long ago is uh, we talked about this team that I like called the Calgary flames, a Calgary and Tampa Bay rematch is not out of the realm of possibility. That, that would be interesting. I Calgary is kind of my sleeper team for the playoffs. I think, you know, the last couple of years they get into the playoffs and there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of wave that they're riding on, but this year is different. This year is, is different mm-hmm. because the product on the ice is very consistent. I can't remember their record in the last 15. It's like, is it 13, one and one or something like that in their last 15 it, games? Very, very close. Last 20 games. It, it's been very close to that. It's uh, they're a very skilled team, but I still think as a fan, they're underrated. Um, mm-hmm. I see them making a lot of splash in the playoffs. I'm would love nothing more to see in Edmonton and Calgary first round would be amazing. I don't know that it happens, but man, would it be great to see that? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I agree. And then I also think Edmonton is, is a sleeper pick as well. I think they make the playoffs there. They, they have two of the most motivated players in, in the NHL besides Nathan McKinnon to win the Stanley Cup and, and they'd be trying. They're desperate and, and God forbid McDavid try even harder than, than he already can. It's, uh, it never ceases to amaze me that when McDavid can do something McDavid-like, we all go, holy shit, that was incredible. I don't know how he does it any better. And then he does it again. Yeah. And then he does it and again. he does it's even just, better. Totally. It's always better. It's always better. Listen, Matt, I appreciate your time that I met. It was great to get to know you a little bit more. I love the work that you're doing when it comes to your analytics. Uh, and your your site is called Oilers.Zone. So you guys go to Google, check it out. Uh, and what's your Twitter handle, Matt? So my Twitter handle is uh, Matthew um, JDP. So at Matthew JDP. Um, and then another uh, shout out to Daryl. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely one of a kind. Um, fantastic podcast. I would definitely take a listen to to all of it uh, once once he puts it out there. Um, and then I also have a a uh, blog coming up this week for all of you that are very interested in drafting goalies in the first round. Is a voodoo? Is it not? I'll let you know. So, awesome. All right, I, I did weigh in on that, but I'm excited to see the results. I appreciate it, Matt. Have yourself a good night, buddy. We'll talk to you again next time. Yes, you as well. Thank you so much. <laughs>